Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining me from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where he's there for Sixers Media Day on Monday, is Tim Bontops. That's a new way to pronounce my last name. I, like I that. did. I did say that weird. I'm sorry. And that's, it's that's, late. I have nothing to be sorry about. Just amusing. Tim Bontops. Hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. Tim Bontops. There you go. We got uh, <laughs> It was like sort of the half French, half American pronunciation is what that was. Joining us from Memphis, Tennessee, where he's just flown in. He's going to be at, uh, I'm here in Boston for some, for uh, media day for the Celtics tomorrow. Something went down here today. Uh, but joining us from Memphis, Tennessee, where he's going to be at Grizzlies media day on Monday, it's Bam McMahon. Howdy, partners. I would say that uh, the three of us have probably got the distant third most interesting media day. Um, you certainly got some action there in being down, Wendy. And uh, Bon Temps, there, there wasn't a whole lot of action in Philly, which going to make for interesting but uh yeah boy somebody got better today yeah so uh just fyi we got ramona shelburne coming on a little bit later in the podcast to talk about the uh, 76ers because she did a couple of stories recently um but obviously the boston celtics uh win the derby for drew holiday um i'm not sure exactly where all the offers were at the end for the blazers before they decide on the celtics offer but based on my conversations, my feel was there was at least three teams who were making significant bids. Um, be- and, and the reason it was three and, and the teams that I really think were there at the end were the Celtics, the Heat, and the, um, and the Clippers. And the reason I think those three teams were there is because I think that those are the three teams that Drew Holiday was really focused on you know, at some point being able to sign a longer term contract for. And that message kind of went out in recent days. Other teams made offers, but I think it was sort of a three-team aggressive race at the end. Um, oh, like I said, only this, the Blazers know exactly what the offers were. But the fact, Bontemps, that the, that the Celtics had to put two rotation players in, in Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams, two valuable players for them, plus two first-round picks. The Warriors pick that they picked up is part of the Chris Epps Porzingis deal, shipping out Marcus Smart over the summer, uh, 2024 first, uh, and their own 2029 first, which I think is unprotected. Mm-hmm. Um, to give two rotation players and two first-round picks for a player who's 33 years old um, and the end of his contract, they paid a premium, and um, they got a premium player. And so the Celtics win the Derby and what a, a big move for Boston that they probably didn't see coming a week ago. They probably didn't spend this summer preparing to have this particular team, but that's what happened. Drew holiday is, is a Celtic and he'll be here the next day or two. And I am interested to see tomorrow what everybody says about their summer. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the Celtics are the big winners of this week. And I think they go into media day to me as the clear favorites to win the title. I think when you look at the way this week is shook out, if you go back to Wednesday, like Wednesday morning, we all woke up. Nobody thought Drew Holiday was going to be anywhere but Milwaukee outside of a couple of people in Portland, a couple of people in Milwaukee who knew what was going on with that. And now you fast forward five days later, Damian Lillard's in Milwaukee. Drew Holiday is now on the Celtics, a better version of Marcus Smart, who they traded away to get Chris Porzingis in the door a few months ago. And, you look at the Celtics team now, their top six, in my opinion, is the best in the league 
with Derek White and Drew Holiday in the backcourt, Javon Brown, Jason Tatum in the frontcourt. Then you got Chris Porzingis and Al Horford at center. They can play a lot of different ways. They're going to be, I think, unstoppable on offense with all five of those guys on the perimeter with either one of those centers, both really good three-point shooters. And, you know, the Celtics have been knocking on the door now for the last several years. And I think over the past seven years, in that seven-year span, I think they've won more games than any team that's ever not won a title in that long a time in the history of the league. And they've got this year and next year to win a title before they have to really start making some hard decisions from a financial standpoint when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both on super maxes and they're skyrocketing past the second apron. That's not a place they're going to be able to be for very long. So to me, by going out and getting Drew Holiday, arguably the best player in the league to guard Damian Lillard, this team is now set up to go up against anybody in the league. And yeah, they're not perfect. They're a little bit thin up front. They lost Grant Williams this summer. Certainly that could loom large later on. He's always done a decent job guarding Giannis. They could have trouble in a matchup with Milwaukee guarding Giannis. But to get Drew Holiday right now and add him to this team, I mean, yes, they lost two rotation players, but we all know they were trying to move Malcolm Brogdon throughout the summer. They're not upset that they're able to move on from him. Robert Williams, I don't know if we're going to see the same guy who was probably the best defensive player in the league from mid-January to the end of March in 2022 before he hurt his knee right before the playoffs, but obviously a talented player. But when you've got Al Horford and Chris Esporzingis, He's a guy you can move. And I think when you look at this move to me, this was a no-brainer for the Celtics to do it. It's a good haul for Milwaukee. Obviously, the overall Dame trade looks pretty good for them right now. But I think it's just a massive move for the Celtics to get this done and, to me, put themselves back ahead of Milwaukee in the race in the East going into training camp. You you meant a good haul for, uh, for Portland, obviously. I don't think it's clear that they are the favorites. I, I disagree with you on that. You know, I don't feel like arguing about it. I still think that uh, Milwaukee is right there. If you want to talk about best top sixes in the league, uh, Bobby Portis being your sixth man with with their starting five, I think that's uh, a conversation. But I agree with everything you say as far as Drew Holiday being a phenomenal fit. And basically, this is, in a lot of ways, um, it's not like it was planned, but this is an extension or set up by the trade that brought Kristaps Porzingis to um, brought Kristaps Porzingis to Boston, sent Marcus Smart to Memphis. Obviously, a three-way deal with Washington. Uh, that's how they got that 2024 Warriors pick. That was one of the yeah. Picks. Real quick, I just want to do a quick accounting. I don't, I don't, I didn't want to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. let's just do a quick accounting. Start of the start of the summer to the end of the summer. Celtics out Marcus Smart, out one first round pick, out Malcolm Brogdon, out Robert Williams. That's what they went out. I know they traded two picks today, but right they they traded one of their picks that they had at the start of the summer. So mm-hmm. Smart, Brogdon, Williams, one first brings back Chris Epps, Porzingis, and Drew Holiday. If I had told you that trade in July, July 1st, I think that would have been very well approved. And then for Damian Lillard, the Bucks got, they've gotten three firsts, two swaps. We'll see what happens with Malcolm Brogdon, but they picked up DeAndre Ayton, who obviously is a what they see as a core player. And Robert Williams, two bigs um, that I, you know, it sounds like they're going to keep. And then we'll see what happens with with um, 
what they get um, for potentially swapping Brogdon. Sorry, but my McMahon, go ahead. That's fine. And the Drew Holiday fit is perfect, simple. Um, you know, he'll start next to Derek White. They'll be probably the best defensive backcourt in the league. I, I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. The only question I think is if he actually starts, because I do think there's a world where Al Horford might. Well, I think there's a world where Al Horford starts and Derek White doesn't. I'll be interested to see what they do with that. But when those two guys are on the court, which I think they're going to be when they close games, those are two of the five best defensive guards in the league. Like that, it's it's a ridiculous defensive backcourt. Yeah, and uh, you know they they can share the playmaking duties. Obviously, Tatum's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, I think they don't have to rely on Brown maybe as much to be a um, uh, initiator as as they did in the past. I have no doubts about Holiday's fit. I, I still am a little curious about how Porzingis is going to fit there. And, you know, Porzingis in the past, um, you know, he has not been content to be even a distant second offensive option. And now, what is he, the fourth? Um, is so, it best the third? Right. Uh, and I... Yeah, I, I think he's the fourth, but whatever. Um, and then just defensively, uh, you know, he's when he's good, he he can be a good rim protector. But you're definitely not doing a lot of like you you can't do hardly any of the stuff that you could do with Robert Williams in terms of switchiness. You know, Horford even at his age is very switchy. So they're going to have to, you know, they they are going to have to scheme defensively uh, to protect Porzingis. But hey. It's a team that was already a contender that uh, I think they can certainly be confident that they were going to uh, or that they got better this offseason. Their depth obviously took a hit, but they, they increased their chances to win a championship. That's for sure. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. So. There's been a lot of attention paid the last few days to Drew Holiday, and people point out that his um, trying to justify Milwaukee's trade was that you know Milwaukee obviously with Dame Lillard gets a, a finisher, a, a, a end of game finisher, and yeah. also that Drew Holiday's shooting in the postseason took a dip from his regular season numbers. It was <clears throat> sort of um, you know backing up you know it's for some reason for some people it was like, well, this is a reason why you shouldn't trade for him because he, his shooting has historically gone down in the, uh, in the playoffs. Let me tell you what hasn't gone down. His assist to turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. He's over three to one assist to turnover his career in the playoffs. You know, Jalen Brown's is it's one, one to one. three. <laughs> <laughs> it's one to one. There's certain games where it feels like it's one to three. So it's what you're talking about, not only what he brings just defensively, um, but he, yeah. He's a stabilizing guy with the basketball at the end of games. And that's huge for the Celtics, huge for, for them uh, to, to be able to have that, to, to not only have that guy that they can deploy in their, in their defense. And, and, you know, they just weren't as good defensively last year for a lot of different reasons. And um, bringing him in makes a huge difference. The other thing is um, I feel like, by doing this, the Celtics send the message that they have truly gone for it. Now, maybe their leadership 
would dispute that they've actually gone for it in the past. Um, because ever since Brad Stevens took over as team president, he has made aggressive moves. Mm-hmm. Um, he's traded away. What is it? Bon Temps is it four firsts now? He's traded away he traded since he a, became president. Traded a first to get Al Horford. They traded a first to get Malcolm Brogdon. They traded two firsts. I mean, I guess in the aggregate, it, maybe it's three firsts. But either way, they've made a they've made a trade each and of a the swap. three years. They traded away the first, a swap. That uh, traded mm-hmm. a swap for Derek White, maybe a first two in that deal. I mean, they 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 went from never trading picks under Danny Ainge to trading a bunch of picks. Right. So they've been getting closer to it, but now they are a second apron team. A second apron team. And I will say this, something that's interesting to point out. You know, the second apron rules, as we've talked about, and they're kind of wonky, but not all of the rules are in play right now. One of the one of the rules that is not in play is that if you're a second apron team, um, in the future, you're not going to be able to aggregate players together to trade them. So you can't put, like the deal, for example, that Milwaukee made where they piled all those players together to get Dame Willard. Um, you know, obviously, or the one Holiday the Celtics the made big... for Drew Holiday, they couldn't right. make that so, trade either. Both of those trades, um, and by the way, Miami potentially would have been in trouble for the second apron if they had structured a trade a certain way, and um, the Clippers would have been in trouble. So these two trades that just happened this week, Lillard and Drew Holiday, if those teams were second apron teams a year from now, they wouldn't be able to make those trades, Even and it would have been another team. Yeah, even more reason to be that aggressive now. I, exactly the point, McMahon. I was actually talking to a GM um, on Friday, and they said, you know, a year from now, if this exact same situation unfolded, um, first of all, if Dame Lillard wouldn't have gone to the box, I don't know where he would have gone. Mm-hmm. But Drew Holiday probably ends up in a place like Utah. Utah was a team that was sniffing around. I don't know if they made a formal offer because you say they make an offer, and next thing you know, your phone's ringing. Utah was sniffing around on Drew Holiday. Um, and for various reasons, it didn't get done a year from now, Utah might be able to get you holiday right. and you have definitely a more in this type of situation, you have a, uh, you're going to have a, a more spread out of talent. So that's even more reason, you know, for, as you mentioned, for the, for the bucks and the Sixers to or the Celtics to do this. So that's a couple of things I want to point out. Um, I also think that, you know, bond temps, the Celtics, uh, they, they, when you discuss their two-year window here, so they've signed Jalen Brown to the Supermax extension, but it doesn't kick in this year. It'll kick in next year. Next summer, Jason Tatum, I assume, is signing for $300 million. He's already qualified mm-hmm. for it. Nothing needs to happen. I assume he's taking $300 million. But then he still has another year before that Supermax kicks in. So when you say two more years, the reason you're saying that is that that's when Jalen Brown what is that like 58 million or something like that? I think the, the two, two of them, them will together, be combined to make over, they'll be making over a hundred million dollars together in the 25, 26 season. That's, right. that's when the crunch starts. And then Porzingis so with, is going to be on the books for 30 something. Right. Um, and, and Derek white has to get it. He, you know, his, he's nearing the end of his deal. He's extension and, eligible. And Drew now. holiday and Drew yes. holiday will all, but certainly I would think agree to some sort of extension later this season with the Celtics and he'll be on the books too. Right. So, my point is, is that like, while I'm sure the Celtics can present, like if Mike Zarin were here, he could present a whiteboard. Uh, Mike Zarin's a Celtics lead ex- executive under Brad Stevens. He could have, probably have a whiteboard explaining why they have, you know, been aggressive in the past. And, you know, uh, my eyes would glaze over, but in this particular situation, 
the Celtics are in position to do something they couldn't do in the future. And with the, with, with what their salaries are, their window is tightening. And so <clears throat> the risk reward situation is not just, is not just black and white. It is, it's a little bit more clear and that's why they went for this now bond temps. And that's why I think it, it, it led to this moment. No question. I mean, this is the moment for them to go for it. And, and we, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, but both Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams, there's no guarantee you're going to have either of those guys on the court. They're both injury question marks. There's already injury question marks and age question marks without Horford and Chris Tasporzingis. Um, getting Drew Holiday, another rock solid guy who's going to be on the court all the time, who's shown he could play huge minutes in the playoffs. You're going to be able to roll out there with those four perimeter players playing 38, 40 minutes a game in the playoffs on a regular basis. You're going to be in awfully good shape. So, I mean, look, I, I, I love the trade for Boston. I think from a drama and a theater standpoint, the fact oh, that in the span right. of five days, Drew Holiday went from Chris Dat- went from Milwaukee to Boston and now theoretically could be guarding Damian Lillard in the conference semifinals or the conference finals in a seven-game series is just an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable storyline mm-hmm. that we now have to follow. And, yeah, I mean, the Celtics have two years. They got two years to win, and they've been knocking on the door for a decade. It was a decade ago that they made the trade with the Nets to get all those picks that became Jason Tatum, became Jalen Brown. And they've been trying to win Banner 18 for 15 years, since 2008. And they haven't won it. And they might not have a, good, a better chance in the next two years. And so I, this is the move to me. The second that the Damon Lillard trade happened, I thought the Celtics had the best package of players between Brogdon, who they could spin off somewhere, Robert Williams, who they can either spin off, but it sounds like they're going to keep. And they have all their picks available. The Celtics still have all but one of their first-round picks in the future. They could still do more stuff if they want going forward. But they had the best package to make to get this guy ahead of the Clippers, ahead of the Heat. And it was a question of, are the Celtics going to really put those pieces in, or are they going to be content to sit with what they have? And they had to do it. Don't you dare say someone's package is better than the Heat's if you want to walk in that media room in Miami. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. You better watch your words. You better, you better be careful well, there. Let me there's, ask a, there's a lot of hurt feelings in South Florida this week. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot of hurt feelings. Not not within the Heat, I should say, but all all around the all around yeah, Airlines, uh, you know, whatever it's called now. Yeah, I mean, like uh, when Eric Spolstra sits down to talk to the media, I mean, I'm sure Eric Spolstra is not going to take a position like, oh, gee, Willikers. Like Eric Polster is going to say, we have enough and we're going to try to win we're gonna, back yeah. to the finals. And I don't think That's you'll right. see Pat Riley pout. I don't think I'm sure Jimmy Butler wanted Dame Lillard, but I don't think you'll see Jimmy Butler come out on opening night and think he's going to win. Right. The Heat, who, by the way, made the conference finals three of the last four years and are the finals two of the last four years. So I'd say they're doing just fine. Yeah, right. and 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 obviously, uh, one of the reasons that the Bucks got booted there there was a list of them. One of the reasons they got booed is because Drew Holiday could not slow down Jimmy Butler, and uh, <laughs> he was still the best chance by far. So certainly that trade doesn't uh, doesn't help that, but it does solve their the other massive problem they had, and that's that their half court offense tended to get stuck in mud. And boy, that ain't going to happen anymore with uh, with Damian Lillard running things there. So hypothetical here. The, the Blazers and uh, the Blazers, Bucks, and Suns got this thing to the one yard line, and and Cro- Joe Crone and the Blazers GM 
says to the Bucks GM, John Horst, hey, uh, let's make this a four-team deal. We're going to loop the Celtics in and reroute Drew Holiday to Boston. What, what do you think Horst says? No way. <laughs> and and look, I, he, knew when he, tra- think- he knew when he made the trade it was a possibility. But this is like, God, please don't let this happen. I'm sure. I'm sure the Bucks are sitting on the sideline, going, "Clippers, Clippers, seven yes. the Clippers, Clippers, oh, Clippers." They did not want to see him in Miami. They did not want to see right. him in Boston. But you know that. Hey, well, forgetting him Miami. Was, this is this is the doomsday scenario for the yeah, Bucks. That was like this that, is the team you was, did not want him on. Well, you're saying doomsday. The, the, the Bucks. The, the Bucks are very formidable. I, I, you know, for sure. but I'm not saying I'm no, no, no. I'm not saying the Bucks can't win. I'm saying this is the doomsday scenario for the Bucks in this situation. If you, they would have done just about anything to have him go to any of the, I think, 28 other teams in the league. This is the one team, especially that you didn't want him on. I think because this, this team stands in the way of them getting to the finals. And look, I think for me, the situation with Giannis We'll see what he does over the next few weeks. We'll see if he extends. I don't think the situation is any different. I think they got they got to go out and win this year. And winning this year just got exponentially harder. Doesn't mean they can't do it, certainly. Not with Damon Giannis. That's maybe the best one-two punch in the league. But Drew Holiday on the Celtics. I mean, can you guys imagine if these two teams play in the playoffs and you've got Drew Holiday going up against Damian Lillard? Like, you, I don't think you could pick a guy to guard Dame in the league than Drew. We saw that. Brian, I believe you covered that playoff series several years ago when New Orleans played Portland. Didn't go very well for Dame. That well, time. Dame's a more dynamic player now than he was then. But, yeah, um, yeah if you're going to pick a guy. He also wasn't running pick and roll with Giannis. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's going to – I'm not saying it's going to go the same way, to be clear. I just mean, like, if you're the if you're the Bucks, this is this is not a great sequence of events to have him wind up on your biggest rival. If, if you're the Bucks, No, I just mean – I just mean post-trade. That's all. Yeah, I mean they're still celebrating the trade to get Dame, but this is you did not want Drew Holiday to be rerouted to Boston, and that's exactly yeah what happened. Um, how, how do we feel about the Portland Hall now that we? And I, I shouldn't say it's final because there's more deals that want Brogdon's likely to get moved at some point, and we'll see what else happens. But three first round picks, uh couple swaps, uh, two starting centers, which is weird, two young starting centers, and and Brogdon. How do you feel about that as a return for uh, Damian Lillard after, uh, you know, he basically said, get me the hell to Miami? It's more than I thought they would get for Dame a week ago. So I think that they've done a good job. Also, their young players that they had, were all perimeter players. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Grant isn't really a young player. He sort of fit, he's sort of in the middle, right? Um, in his prime years. But so now they have two young bigs that they can, in theory, have mature with their strong perimeter players. We'll see whether or not this team can have, you know, Simons, Sharp, and Henderson as a mm-hmm. st- whether they stick together. But at least they are. Their roster is more balanced going forward. And it was a challenged position. It was a challenged position. And, you know, um, a year ago when we when we were, you know, whenever we see stalemates, it wasn't just a year ago, but whenever we see stalemates with players, 
typically something happens in the league and we, we will, we will say on this pod, well, maybe something will happen. You know, Matt Ishbia buys the team, right. buys the Suns, for example. Giannis saying yeah. those words was something that happened um, that created sure that was. opportunity for Portland. And so that's one of the reasons why it, it behooves you to slow play, sometimes a trade, regardless of what people say. Yeah. Um, and so um, Milwaukee's reaction opened the door for Portland. And so whether, however you want to see how the negotiations went, right. Portland's strategy is verified because this is a better deal than they could have gotten mm-hmm. if they had just straight up did with Miami, regardless of what you want to say. And it's a, it's probably a better deal than they could have got if they had traded it anywhere on July 1st. Yeah. And, and Dame clearly has hard feelings. I mean, he said as much to Chris Haynes, um, things got messy from a, from a personal standpoint. Uh, he says, you know, basically Cronin ignoring him, whatever. That's unfortunate, but Joe Cronin got the best deal that he could. Him waiting was smart. He was able to, to, uh, you know, basically maximize the return by taking his time and then some fortunate time and with the Giannis stuff. And I mean, the, the other thing, like, dude, Dame got his money and he got a chance, a, a great chance to win a championship. To me, once you take the money, you don't get to give a one team list and be upset that, that, that one team isn't where you got sent. That's like, don't take an extension. If, if you are going to, you know, feel obligated to pick your, your team, your one and only team. Um, and honestly, like as far as backlash to the Blazers for the way things went down, what? So Portland's going to have to overpay for free agents. <laughs> Whoa. Ain't that something new? Well, I mean, you know, like at, at a certain point, Hey, player empowerment. That's, that's the way the league is. Um, but you have to do what's best for your franchise. I think he did that while putting Dame in a good situation. I, as far as like what the Blazers have on their roster right now, I don't know that Aiton and, and Williams is a is a long term tag team. Oh, I, I will say I will say this: it'll be interesting to see. I thought Nikola Jovic looked great in the World Cup. Just because mm-hmm. looked great in the World Cup doesn't mean he's going to look great for the Heat. He may not even be able to get minutes. There's a lot of excitement about Jaime Jaquez. Maybe he won't be that great. Right. But I will just say this from the Heat's perspective: if Jovic and Jaquez are looking awesome or looking ex- with extreme potential, that is something that could be a lingering thing. If you end up with Aiton, who you kind of is, is a known commodity, and you have Robert Williams, whose value will fluctuate based on his health, right? If Jovic is out there shooting forty-four percent from three, and um. And just being a dynamic six foot ten guy who can play you know mm-hmm. multiple different positions, and Hawkes is knocking people around and like making an impact as a rookie. Yeah, I mean that could that could be judged, that could be used against Joe Cronin in the future. Yeah, but and, what's and important look, is 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 what we sit here and see right now. Yeah, the lay of the land right now. 
Yeah, and and there was not much interest in DeAndre Ayton. That's just a simple fact of the matter. I mean, he's he's viewed as a as a guy who's overpaid and is uh, a lot to handle. Well, I think one thing that you know, our former colleague Mike Schmitz, who's the number two or mm-hmm. one of his top Luke Joe right. top assists, he is a big believer in DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, and, and so and he is a seven foot. I respect. I, I respect Mike Schmidt's opinion. He has been right about, a, you know, nobody bats a thousand, sure. but he has been right about a lot of players. And so I think what Schmidt's and apparently Joe Cronin believed is that DeAndre Aiden is potentially undervalued. Yeah. And, and you I know, do, you'd be right or wrong on that. That's, you know, it'll be what it'll be. I do believe, and I know that Aiden and people close to him believe that he can benefit from a change of scenery. Um, I just, Again, I Aiden, obviously you have to start DeAndre Ayton. I don't know. It's like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna play Williams? You can, you're not playing them together. I mean, I guess you are if you're don't care about winning, but like that's not a fit. So what are you gonna do? You can play Williams for 20 minutes. I'll say this if Robert Williams is healthy as the trade deadline is nearing, I do believe there will be a robust market for him because he is the exact first of all, he's got a very reasonable contract. Yes. Um, and then he's the like he's the exact kind of big that a lot of really good teams want. And that's an impact defensive player who's an energy guy, who's a you know, screener, finisher, rebounder, run the floor. He's beloved fan. in that he was beloved in that uh Celtics locker room, wasn't yeah. he, Bon Temps? I, I felt like. Yeah, absolutely. He had a universal, yeah. universally high um Q rating in the Celtics locker room. Really good guy. Everybody liked him. Um, well, everybody loves guys who do a whole bunch of dirty work and don't take much many shots. Yeah, and he was never looking for the ball, too. I mean, look, right. he's I, also happy go, or, happy go lucky type of guy. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah. when he's looking for it, he's got his he's got his elbows above the rim, throwing it down. And and, right. and just that threat it's space for everybody. So, yeah, guys are going to love that dude. Yeah, I mean the, the the whole thing, the whole situation with the Blazers, how this played out, has been very interesting because it's it's you know I, I don't know if the process was very good at a lot of points, but ultimately they gambled that somebody would panic, and yep. you can and you know like what you said, Brian, when Giannis Antetokounmpo talked to Tanya Ganguly from the New York Times and said, you know, I'm not sure about the commitment of the team. We got to see where things are at. Well, a month later, Damian Lillard's on the box. And if that interview doesn't happen, maybe this trade happens. Maybe. But I'm going to guess that it doesn't. Well, and there's that interview. Then there's the podcast appearance. That's so right. Like, and he hey, also did the I'm podcast. I'm not kidding. Just to be clear. Let yeah, me just to reinforce it. Yes. Yeah. But look, that was the strategy, right? Like, for whatever reason, they decided they weren't going to negotiate with the Heat. I don't know if that was the best way to handle things, but that's just basically how it went. They weren't going to do that. So they were waiting for somebody to step up with a bigger offer than what the Heat could have gave them, in theory. And ultimately, that's what they got. Like, this trade worked out really well. They got three firsts. They got two swaps. I'm with you, McMahon. I, the whole – that trade from both sides, you know, I, I totally respect Schmitz. He knows way more about uh, the draft and prospecting with players than I do. You know, the DeAndre Ayton use of Berkic swap for both sides was a little confusing. I mean, that's – the remnants of a bad contract that the Blazers gave out last year. And as we talked about ad nauseum the other day, which you don't need to get back into, the Suns saying it's not worth it to see if this thing can get improved anywhere with DeAndre. We got to get him out of here. 
So perhaps a change of scenery will be good for him, but it's a ton of money to take on in that situation. And, you know, we'll see what happens to Malcolm Brogdon. We'll see what happens to Robert Williams. There is a bit of a log jam. But at the end of the day, the, the Blazers got more than I thought they were going to get. And they put themselves in a position now where they got flexibility going forward. They've got some stuff they can move around. They have the year now to see whether Anthony Simons and Scoot Anderson could fit together, whether they got to move on from Simons at some point in the future yeah. or make him a six man. But they got time to do that because now the decks are clear. And at media day uh, on Monday and training camp starting on Tuesday, they can put the ball in Scoot Anderson's hands and let him go. And that ultimately was what had to happen at the end of all this. This had to become Scoot Henderson's team. And now it is. I will say this also. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think they need to move Brogdon pretty soon because I don't need to deal with a, a proud vet who is going to be less than content to, uh, I, I put it this way. I don't want to read one damn story about Malcolm Brogdon as a mentor for Scoot Henderson. <laughs> no, I, I suspect, I suspect they'll, I don't know. This is with no knowledge. I suspect that's going to be handled like the Drew holiday situation. I would, I yeah. mean, I would suspect they're well, going to look around. They're going to find some offers and they're going to do something pretty quick. I would think it's one thing to have a veteran go to a young team. It's another thing when that veteran, and is still in his prime years right. and is a, is going to be a free agent. He's not like nobody would blame him for being like, hey, wait a minute. I mean, if he was going to go there and be their starting point guard, okay. But he can't go there and have his, his, his actual value diminished that he can't allow yeah, that. Yeah, to happen. Well, he's still got two years left on his deal to be clear, but. Oh, that's right. I, right. he was, yeah. But either he's, way, it's, it's like not, a, it's, there's, no, he's not going to be in Portland at the minimum, past the trade deadline. I would certainly think sooner than that. Well, and he sure as hell ain't going to try to defend his sixth man of the year title in, for a rebound. <laughs> um, two things before we go. One, the preseason is never exciting. So I want to be clear. I'm not trying to sell you that. This preseason could have a little bit of intrigue because – you're going to see the Celtics play with Porzingis. I will. I will. I'll check on Porzingis. That'll be like the 11th thing I got to check on. <laughs> right. You know. Hey, Jalen. What about he's that been scrimmaging? He's been scrimmaging and working out. I. I think he's. I don't know this with 100 certainty, but I believe he's going to be full go for practice on Tuesday. Seems that okay, way okay, at least. So you're going to see the new look Celtics. That's going to be going on. You're going to see the new look Bucks. That's going to be going on. You're going to see the new look Suns. That's going to be going on. You're going to see Victor Wembanyama. You know, his first preseason game is a week from Monday against Chet Holmgren. I have no idea where the two of them are going to play, but keep an eye on what Victor is going to do in the preseason. There's actually. We some... may or may not see James Harden. Where is he going to be? Ooh. What's going to happen in Philly? Goodbye. Yeah, What's next going to Sunday. In Colorado? Next Sunday, by the way, on ESPN, forget the, forget the late NFL games. Celtics Sixers on ESPN. I'm sorry. Can't wait. Yeah, Celtics Sixers. Yeah, yeah uh, Celtics Bond Sixers Bond in Boston. Be there. Um, yeah, I, the TD Garden is right out my window right now. <laughs> as if I never left. Um, <laughs> the other thing, I'm, the other thing I'm going to bring up is I do think, and it, I'm, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done it for this reason. I do think that the Celtics are going to be on the lookout for another player or so because their depth took a hit here. Now you can say their top six is the best or among the best. 
after that, it gets a little shaky. You're relying on guys who are either yep. unproven or, or you hey, know. I, I think that Reggie Bullock is going to be a nice minimum signing for somebody, and both Milwaukee and Boston, I'm pretty sure, will be uh, interested well, in his services. It's going to be interesting about the Bucs because they had a they had a roster spot open. They used it today, Sunday, on campaign, who they signed. Right. They're now at 15 guys, and they don't exactly have a lot of picks. So I'm and I'm not sure with their salary right now, according to Bobby Marks, at 183 million, Whew, well man. into the second apron. I'm That's not true. sure they're going to be cutting a guy to sign Reggie Bullock off the street. Campaign, so, another guy who. Got like one breakfast taco in San Antonio. Yes. And moved on. And by the way, addresses their need for point guard depth. Yes. No, yeah, for sure. He's, nice he'll little, be a solid nice little pickup. He'll be a solid fit for them as and, a backup and, point and guard Bullock, during the season for sure. I'm not going to tell you Bullock is like a, an all NBA player or anything, but he's a solid defender who he never he's hits a rotation a player. Shot. Yeah. Never hits a jump shot before Christmas, but is a, is a <laughs> respectable three-point shooter, and and more than comfortable being the number five option on the floor. Well, I will his, say this. His, his shooting splits from like before and after New Year's every year of his career are truly insane. They go, <laughs> it goes crazy. up like 15 or 20%. It's unbelievable. I'm telling every you, single year Santa, of his Santa, Santa brings his jump shot every single year. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I've, if I'm not mistaken, and I apologize for not having every second apron rule totally nailed down, it's a preseason for all of us. I believe when the regular season starts, if you're a second apron team, you can't sign a bought a bought out player. Uh, I think that is if their if their salary pre buyout was above the non taxpayer mid level. What well, is which, for Bullock? Is it not? No. Because well, he, it's a combination. A, it's it's multiple things. It's the Tim's right. It's about how much they they make, and it's also if you get cut before the season starts, which Bullock. Also got cut before the season started. If he got cut just saying, two months from now, it would have been a different story potentially. No, well, it's probably one of the reasons why he got. The- no, I said potentially. I'm agreeing with you. You're right. Yeah. I'm saying for like other players during the year, it would be right. an issue. Bullock was a mid-level signing for the Mavericks, but the mid-level's gone up since then. Ah, so, right. Okay. All right. So, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that where Reggie Bullock goes is going to determine the balance of power. I'm just saying that the Celtics could probably use yeah another i mean they're they're going to be counting on sam hauser who is a guy who's just shown some things they're going to be counting on o'shea brissett peyton pritchard is going to play a good amount of minutes peyton, for them peyton I, I think they i got think some young Bullock options but they certainly them. could use some depth yeah no reggie i think reggie Bullock could be a great fit for them they have i mean right now they probably have Steve McCall, you can Delano Banton fighting for a roster spot. I would think. I would guess they're going to be at 14 spots. They, they did sign Wendy Gabriel on Sunday. Yeah, My guess is he'll make Gabriel. the team. Yeah, they have Lamar Stevens, who's with the Cavs last year, is a rugged defender on the wing. My guess is he makes a team. It's just a guess, but yeah. with what they've got as a roster, I think he makes sense. So yeah, if you could have Reggie Bullock as a guy, you could plug in there and hit spot up threes and defend on the wing and give you know any night you have you know one of those wing players not playing, he could step in and play 30 minutes like. I think it makes a ton of sense, but as we all know, those kind of guys are valued all over the place. And I would think whenever he hit, I think he'll, he'll either clear waivers Monday or Tuesday, I think it might be Tuesday. They're going to, he's going to have a lot of suitors. So you know, I would think he'll be pretty in demand uh, to see where he winds up. I mean, 
I'd have to look at Miami's roster. I mean, that's another place where he would make some sense given where other summer's gone. And I think they hmm. have a spot. Uh, they do have a spot that they could use too. I mean, he would make sense there. So be a lot of, All right, open, more lot of people looking to sign in. A lot more to come on this. Um, appreciate you guys coming by. We will be talking to Ramona Shelburne here in a second. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, joining us now, as promised, Ramona Shelburne, who has written two tremendously reported pieces about the Philadelphia 76ers this summer. And the Sixers have quite a big couple of days here as we see what happens to the organization. But Ramona, joining us from um, the Valley, Silicon <laughs> Valley. No, California. no, my Valley, San Fernando Valley. Sanford, I'm just, I say Silicon Valley. Oh my God. Well, because I have my Stanford it, hat on, you know. It's That's late. Why. I know. I, I, I should be ashamed of making that mistake. But, you know, you are a Silicon Valley girl too. But yeah, I was there yesterday. It's okay. Stanford. Wearing her Stanford <laughs> hat, former Stanford star softball player, and also a shirt that says, I believe in the Church of Baseball, which our producer Jackson does not know the reference. How many of our podcast listeners and our YouTube watchers know the reference, I believe, in the Church of Baseball? I am going to go with 30%. Yeah. So it is a reference to the movie. I wonder, Jax, you don't have to answer, but have you looked it up? Do you know what we're talking about or do you just not even care? I've, I've looked it up now. Okay. I, I, have, I have now. I have actually seen that movie. My dad. My dad forced that upon me at one point in time. Good news. <laughs> but you just haven't memorized every word like Ramon no, and I. No, I haven't seen okay. it enough to to have it down. Yeah, the movie is Bull I mean, Durham, one of the all-time great sports movies. It, the all-time great sports movie. Like that's not that's not up for By the me. way, speaking of television shows about <laughs> sports, do you find it interesting that Jeannie Buss in year two of the HBO show has like after like totally like leaned not, in vowing yeah. you know and unfortunately it's been canceled um winning time but genie is now like tweeting like how much she likes the show trying she to went save on a podcast the with it she went on a podcast with the creators her her new husband jay moore had a role this season in in winning time i mean it's like it's like uh the wall came down what you know i don't want to make a gorbachev reference but the, that's what happened like the wall came down there was a sort of the the Lakers just pretended winning time did not exist and were not happy about it for the whole first season. And then this year it was like, ah, it's a, it's fun nostalgia. Yeah. Like I get why Jerry West was upset. I don't know if I, I would have like yeah. filed a lawsuit, but I understand yeah. why he was upset. I yeah. get it. Um, I, I guess I get how my magic was upset because, you know, it portrays sure. him in a certain light, regardless of how true it is or not true, but whatever. But like Jerry Buss was the star of the show. Like he totally. was, and like Jeannie was portrayed, maybe it wouldn't, wasn't her ideal life, but she was portrayed very positively. Yeah. And her dad, John C. Riley, with an all time performance as Jerry Buss, and he was awesome. Like, yeah. he, there's no way you watch that. And like, and like, I mean, unless you were one of Jerry Buss's former girlfriends or something, there's no way you watch <laughs> that and are like, that guy isn't awesome. And yeah. so I'm actually kind of glad she leaned in. It was kind of, you know, maybe a little bit too late, but like, I, here's what here's I, what the thing that's hard. Okay, so year one everybody was just upset that it would even existed, 
right? Like that they did it without them. And this is other people's version of history and not their own. And other people made money on this and, and you know, et cetera. Le year two, I think people kind of got comfortable with it, leaned in. And then the absolute worst possible thing, if you're a Laker person, could happen is that the show got canceled with them losing to the Celtics. <laughs> like, <laughs> like like nothing else like the, i'm sure season three would have covered what happens next right where they come right. back and win i mean you know that, that's just the nature of the lakers celtic rivalry right they're they're tied right now 17 each right also like, they're just they're stuck but but the show ends with the celtic winning yes <laughs> also adrian brody is pat riley oh my gosh great stuff uh, anyway great stuff i mean I, you know look uh, i don't know if it was all you know, I, I don't know if it was all that Ryle said all that or did all that or whatever, but I, I do like the character arc of that. I, I, I did feel Paul feel, feel bad for Coach Westhead. I, I, that was not a, a yes. flattering portrayal this year. Yes. Um, but that but, did happen. Right. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, what did I happen? Mean, magic did uh, shove him out. And, you yeah. know, like one of the greatest coaches yeah. of all time was born. And, you know, Jerry Buss did what he had to do as he did throughout his whole time in that job. So um, anyway, uh, I like it all. So Ramona, you did two really good stories. One was on James Harden that we talked about um, three, four weeks ago. And um, last week you had a story come out on Josh Harris, who really is being known right now as the new owner of the Washington commanders, but has owned the 76ers. Uh, the, they've been the controlling owner since 2000. What was it? Nine or 10? 11. 2011. And probably got um, the best uh, price on an NBA team of the modern era. Certainly like Jerry Buss. I don't remember what he paid for the Lakers. Um, I think it was 66 million or something. Okay. Like Arguably going to be the great. You know, the, yeah. the team is probably worth seven or eight billion dollars. I don't even know, but like it was, there the was a valuation era. at some point of the Lakers. What people forget about the Lakers purchase back then is they also got the Forum and the Kings and all right. these, and some land up in Fort Tejon. It was like, it was a it was a crazy real. And then I think Jack Hancock got the Chrysler Building. Like it was it, that was it, wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, the, I'm sure the Chrysler Building yeah. is very valuable, but I think the Lakers are probably valued more. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, but here's what I think is fascinating. So you do this interview with uh, Josh Harris, who, number one, has almost done no interviews before. Mm -hmm. um, and this interview, I assume, was in the works for a while. And right when you're about to do the interview, the James Harden situation blows up. Yeah. So, like, that was an interesting situation <laughs> yeah, that, that you must have been dealing with. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how that happens is um, I think we had been talking about doing an interview with Josh Harris, like when he first bought the team, uh, when he first bought the commanders this spring. I mean, it was and it, the, the deal or was going to it was going to close this. It, it was kind of in the spring is when it looked like it was coming together. And then in uh, and then in the July is when it finally closes. But I had I had uh, Zoom dates on the books months in advance. Right. And and then this plan to go to the preseason game August twenty first was 
months in advance. That was on the calendar because he he's a busy guy, right? Like he's he was flying to I think he was overseas for quite some time. He was back and forth to the Hamptons and Florida and Philly and all over the place. So like it was hard to nail down any dates for him. I, I'm just home. Like I'm pretty easy to schedule with, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm in LA. Um, at some point. I may go on a day trip. That's about it. <laughs> so I was easy to schedule with. And we had these on the books and it was just literally the, the, the James Harden thing has been happening all summer long too. Like this has been happening since July 1st or J June 30th as it were. Right. Um, but when he like said, okay, I will have a reporter from ESPN come yeah. hang out with me <laughs> during my yeah. first preseason game. He did not know yeah. that this reporter who mostly covers basketball. Yeah that James Harden was going to blow up and no. it was going to blow up. So like, <laughs> so how did I, I handle that is what you asked? Well, and um, how did he hand and more, how yeah. did he handle it? You know, he was actually fine. You know, he, he said essentially like, Hey, I, I you know, I said to him, I go, listen, I'm going to ask you about Harden. Like, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Um, but I won't make the whole interview about that because the story is about more than that. Right. And so at some point I'm not going to, you know, my tactic with it is always, I'm trying to, tell the whole story and the 10,000 foot story, because this is something I want you to look back on five years from now and pull things from, or learn things about this guy that you don't know, or, you know, contextualize him in a way because he, you know, he, we all just woke up and he was like the largest holder of sports assets in America. I mean, it's like him and Stan Kroenke, you know, pretty, right. pretty close, pretty close neck and neck in terms of just. Yeah. So value. just to go over real quick. So um, Josh Harris owns, the 76ers, he owns the New Jersey Devils. He and, you know, with partners, yep. he owns the Prudential Center, which is where the Devils play. The Nets played there one or two years. He owns, um, is the controlling owner of Crystal Palace, which is a team in the um, Premier League in England. Uh, it's a team in London. And he owns the Washington Commanders. He also owns a couple of other minor league Joe teams. Joe Gibbs Racing, he's got some stake there. Yeah, he's got other. some other stuff that I, you know, but those yeah. are sort of the biggies. And so the idea that he has an NFL team, an NBA team, an NHL team, an arena, and a Premier League team. Like the only yeah. person who can come close to that is Stan Kroenke, who owns the LA Rams, the Avalanche, the Nuggets, Arsenal. Um, he also owns a lacrosse league team. He owns yeah. the stadium, the SoFi Stadium, and he owns the pep or the ball arena. He's probably got other stuff that I can't remember. But like that's the only comparable. Yeah, the Glazers the are up there. Glazers, I guess. Yeah, the Glazers because the Knicks the... are really valuable, and the Rangers, Jim Dolan is up there. Yeah. And the um, Sphere. Of, yeah, <laughs> and the Sphere. By the way, you two at the Sphere is apparently amazing. Um, but I think like in terms of th this guy who has a very low profile, Josh Harris. Like you know, he's done a few interviews. Mostly when I did a background check, you know, not like a background check, but when you do a, a scour, okay, you just read everything about the guy. M most things that come up are stories about him being a college wrestler, stories about him at Apollo Global Management and sort of how that that fell apart, but also some of his best deals that he made um, to become a billionaire and be in position to own all these teams. Um, and then there was, a, I think there was a few stories when he, when he bought the devils of, of kind of who he was. There wasn't a lot when he bought the Sixers. He didn't do media back then. Um, and I remember that was, that was actually one of the first places I started, which was all of a sudden Josh Harris is everywhere. Josh Harris like bought the team in Washington and then called into a radio station a few minutes later and bought a round of beers for fans that were at a watch party there. In, oh yeah, I mean, it, like literally, like now he's doing sports talk radio. Like he went from yeah, not so doing strategy, interviews to right? like calling I mean, into like, yeah. yeah. Well, he also took a beating because the whole process thing went yes. down, and he was sort of absent for that. And they had 
Well, it, when your story it's basically you had, Brett Brown. I mean, it was basically Brett Brown yeah. every night. But like, how many? How in that three or four year period of the process, they averaged sixty seven losses. Is that is that was in the story? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, and and no. and you know, I think that I think um, that was one of the areas I started with Brian, which was um, when they when he, the first thing he did when he became a professional sports owner. Pretty quickly. I mean, people forget they bought the team. And then that year they actually Philly was actually eighth and they they kind of caught the bulls when Derrick Rose got hurt. Remember? Yeah. So they actually yeah. advanced in the playoffs that year a little bit. Um ran into the Celtics and lost. But that was that was uh that was the they traded first they traded for Andrew Bynum. They were like, Okay, well now yeah. we're gonna try to go for it. And that obviously yeah. blew up in their face. Yeah. But then he so, went into full process. He didn't go into full process the minute he bought the team. Right. And but the biggest the biggest issue a lot of people had with the process and is just the lack of um it was a pretty radical idea at the time. I mean, I, I've called it YOLO tanking, you know, <laughs> in the past. Like and and Sam Hinkie was the architect of this and Josh Harris being from private equity and and David Blizzard being from private equity. It just made sense. Like when you buy a distressed asset, what do you do? Strip down the the parts that don't work and rebuild the company by keeping the most valuable parts. Well, the most valuable parts the Sixers had back then were draft picks. And the highest draft picks generally net out the best talent. There's a lot of, you've written a lot about this, the history of the process. I think probably the best story, you know, Pablo Torre's written about this, you know, and kind of named it that. Um, but I think uh, there wasn't a lot of Josh Harris explaining what's going on here. There wasn't a lot of right. uh, yearly or monthly or whatever you want to call it, owner conferences where there's some level of accountability for this and it, it, it got to the point in the league where it became uncomfortable like the the nba steps in there became um you know jerry colangelo took a took an advisory role at one point you remember that's kind of how brian got the job um or more than kind of yeah. that's how he got the job <laughs> right um and you know, it, it became uncomfortable to the point where then then there's the martin luther-esque missive that sam hinky writes on his way out what a reference yeah. Stanford reference. Yeah. Martin Luther's 95 theses. Oh my yeah. God. It's, it's, Jackson, it's, do you know the reference to Martin Luther? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jackson went to Syracuse. I'm sure he does. Yeah. I'm sure he does. He went to Syracuse. <laughs> but like there wasn't a lot of forward facing ownership time during that period. And, and I think they made certain mistakes. I mean, there was a, here's a cutting room store, uh, cutting room floor story for you, Brian. Um, Remember, remember back when they at one point decided, you know, we should probably get some veterans in here so that yes. we don't just have a bunch of guys like some some things that happened with some of the young players some off the court stuff. So Elton Brand's like going to retire. And to the point where he had a vacation booked and like they call him and go, hey, you know, we really could use you here. And it, just as a veteran and, you know, we need we have some young guys that could use some mentorship. I think they were thinking of Okafor and Nerlens Noel and those guys. And Elton's like. I literally have my tri off season trip to Jamaica booked. Like I can't do that to my family. Like we've been planning on me retiring. We have this trip booked. I can't be to training camp. And they go, can you come after training camp? Can you just come, can, can you come later? Whatever it was. I don't know if it's training camp or in the middle of the season or whatever it was. Can you come later? And they, and he goes, if you let me go on the trip. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll show up for you guys because Elton wanted to roll in the front office eventually, you know, and he, he did. Right. That was the team that I think won nine games. That was Joel's rookie year. Um, but like this was that, that process era Sixers was 
now I think everybody does it, right? There's a, there's a lot of teams that are doing it and they just do it uh, a little. Yeah. They just don't, they don't go whole hog with 67 yeah. loss average for yeah. four years, but yeah. I th- <laughs> but so it's very clear that Josh Harris has, he's taking a different approach and a more public approach. Yeah. So you've written this hardened story. So this had, did the hardened, no, the hardened story hadn't run yet because you had quotes from him in your hardened yes. story. So the hardened thing is unfolding. Had, had, um, Daryl Morey is a liar. Had that been, had, had that, that came out. Happened? Yeah. Okay. That came out. So, I sat so, with, you know, I sat with everyone while I was there. Like I saw Tad Brown was there and Josh Harris Tad Brown's there, the team and, president of the, yeah. And, Sixers. uh, oh, no, I, I don't think Daryl was there. Um, obviously Daryl wasn't there for the, for, for the commander's game. Why would he be there? But, right. um, but there was a sort of like James Harden had just blown them up. Right. I mean, he had just yeah. gone to China said what he said twice right let me repeat myself in case you didn't hear me the first time (laughs) which is kind of the best part of that whole thing um (laughs) and let me say it again and and it was very uncomfortable like it was very uncomfortable for a couple of weeks there for um for daryl morey for everyone involved in the sixers and that that whole process with james and hasn't really gotten more comfortable i don't think it's gotten more comfortable i mean there's the photos from the club last week where he's you know there's signs saying the same thing and um, and Joel took I think, processing out of his Twitter bio or X bio. <laughs> never know what that was. You never drama. know. There's I know. always something he's with Joel. Joel Embiid. I know. Yeah. Like he's always just, you know, doing stuff, poking, right. That's what the Troel is. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, this was all happening during that period. And so I did ask him about it quite a bit. And, uh, and I mean, ran some quotes from him in that, in the story on James Harden. And, you know, as a reporter, it's like, you're doing two different things. Like you have to, you have to get everything while you're there. Like you have to, okay. So I'm going to ask you about Apollo and I'm going to ask you about the commanders and I'm going to ask you about the Sixers. Apollo is his, uh, his private equity company that (laughs) he had an acrimonious Um, departure from. I'm just, just filling in details. I'm like doing the footnotes. I know it's good. Um, so yeah, it was, it, you know, he did. He didn't duck any of those questions. If anything, I think he was pretty candid on 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 James Harden. I think it's, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was something to the effect of, "It's a really unfortunate situation, and we hope we can find a resolution for both. That's good for both us and James." And you know, I think he he signaled this understanding of like we're going to look for a deal. I mean, the same thing Daryl Morey has said publicly: we're going to look for a deal, but it has to be good for us and for James. Yeah, um, and so. I don't know a hundred, you know, we're recording this pod on, on Sunday night. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, I wish I could say my sources have told me that James Harden will show up at 10 Oh four AM. Like I, um, I don't know. I've heard all kinds of different things. I've heard enough conflicting pieces of information to say that I don't know as we sit here right now. So I'll uh, give you my line that I used on the show the other day. Okay. Um, Everyone has a theory. No one has an answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think most people I've spoken to in and around the Harden situation and in Philly, et cetera, I think they all think James is going to show up um, because the theory is, and like, like I say, the theory is that he wants to get paid. Like he's not going to Ben Simmons this and say, I'm going to lose $19 million of salary by not showing up. I think there's this idea that he will show up and become uh, just more than a distraction than he already is more of a, but I, I, or yeah, he will just think, show up and they'll work out to that. He just doesn't play because he's says, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like, 
obviously last time he showed up, he showed up late. So he, you know, so I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how uncomfortable he's going to make it. Um, I do know that now that the holiday and Lillard things have been settled and while there'd be a lot of attention on Monday in Milwaukee and in Boston, Philly is where the action is going to be on Monday and Tuesday, even maybe and Wednesday. Um, That's where the action is now going to be. That's the last sort of hot spot. And, you know, you've written so much about this story this summer and it's very clear from reading your reporting. Last season was very complicated. This summer was very complicated. It is not simple. And, you know, Harden left. He Harden was obviously wounded by the way he was treated, as he said. And Harden kind of wounded the Sixers a little bit. And so I don't know if they can come together or not. It's a real, it's a real, it's a real question mark. It's a real question mark. And I also think it's, um, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's gets solved in a day. I think like it's, it's, it's funny how like things can go on an entire summer and these just sort of forced deadlines and opportunities. Like it is media day on Monday. And so therefore everybody has to play a card. Like you just are forced to play a hand. You can't just pass on to the next day, to the next day. And this is, this is how these things eventually get resolved is that something now has to happen because your contract kicks in and you, you either show up and report and, or you don't, and then they pay you or they don't pay you. I mean, that's, that's literally what happens now. And so we'll see. It's um, he's already been fined obviously by the NBA for his comments. Um, I, you know, I, I would, my guess, this is my theory, not an answer, but my theory is that he shows up and says, I don't want to be here. And then they either say, well, let's suit up and go through practice. Or they say, all right, let's, you know, why don't you just sit out until, until you do want to be here or we have a trade for you. I think it goes like that because I think he's, he's not the type to just not show up. Yeah. Technically within the rules. Technically, uh, yeah. Well, it's against it's against the new rules that oh, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing that you had in the story about Josh Harris, you interviewed David Blitzer, who is his co-owner yeah. with a number of the teams, and you interviewed Michael Rubin, who was a previous part owner of the Seventy um, Sixers. He sold it. He's the CEO, founder, CEO of Fanatics. One of the one of sort of the I guess there's been people like this over the course of the decades, but like is the the man about town hosts the white I mean, party every summer. The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And he had some very interesting quotes to talk about Josh Harris. And I think Michael Rubin, if he could ever talk freely, could have an incredible insight into this hardened situation. I suspect his his role is very important because he is extremely close to James Harden, at least has been. I don't know where he's at with the Sixers. I'll I'll say this. I, I, I did. Obviously I talked to Michael Rubin for this story on Josh. We talked about a lot of things Sixers as well. Um, He's not involved with them anymore. And he says he doesn't, you know, I'm glad I'm not dealing with this anymore. It was a a lot. Um, But, but I think there is a, um, he would have played a role in this that could have been helpful to, to fixing the situation. Like there was a, there's a sort of connective tissue that Michael Rubin had with James, James Harden, just because of their long history together. I think, you know, let's, if you, let's say you play this out, he had to, the reason Ruben has to divest himself of the Sixers is because fanatics is getting involved in gambling and it's a, you know, it's against, um, 
it's going to be a, it's going to be a conflict of interest for him to be an owner in the team and gambling. And it just got, but he also with fanatics needed to do a bunch of deals with players. Correct. For his business. And as an owner of a team, he couldn't do business with players or he was very limited in what he could do. That's right. They have, you know, sort of player appearance fees, like a lot, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of players that are on the payroll for fanatics. And that's why his events are so exclusive because people are, they're not just his friend. They're part of the company, right? They're right. endorsers. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think that became problematic. And so he divests himself from the Sixers and he still maintains a relationship with James Harden, but he's not involved in the actual contracts. He's not involved in any of the team business. And I think if you had a Michael Rubin there, maybe throughout this year, it might've been different. I really do. I think um, the, the handholding that probably needed to happen would have been done. But that's partially why James drifted so far and feels so betrayed because there was no one holding his hand. And, you know, Sixers will tell you, well, we we can't hold his hand. That's tampering, right? Um, That's right. That's true. They got fined last year for tampering. But there's a a handholding that could have happened all throughout the year and just making somebody feel safe and secure. And, and the, the biggest takeaway I had with um, that I had from the the Harden story, and I think I can say this very very bluntly, which is James felt like he sacrificed a lot on and off the court to prove that he was all about winning, that he that this is what the team needed. And when it came time for him to be repaid for that sacrifice, he was not being repaid, and that is reflected in not making an all-star team that's reflected in the sort of stature he has on the team and, and, and in and around the league, all NBA voting and those kinds of things. It wasn't his, his quote unquote sacrifice as a former MVP top 75 player. This is, this is somebody who has a lot that they're proud of in their career. And when you, you know, let's, let's, let's pick a different player who takes a much lesser role on the team and makes that sacrifice like all year long that that's talked about. Right. That's that's uh, brought up and they're made to feel good about that. And James didn't, didn't feel that way. And and he never got to the point. And Brian, you've talked about this very well. And I think you're right about this. He probably had more leverage if he did not pick up his player option because they need yeah. him just as much as he needs them. And because he picked that up, I think he's lost a lot of leverage here. Well, one thing I suspect could happen in the next couple of days. We'll see. Now that Dame Lillard has been traded and is not a Clipper, mm-hmm. and now that Drew Holiday has been traded and is not a Clipper, and Malcolm Brogdon is now very available, um, and the Clippers yep. almost traded for him, but so that's there. But like the Clippers, the Clippers have tried to get all those players this year. Yeah. They tried to get Brogdon. So they tried the heat, to get Lillard. The tr- uh, yeah. I don't know about the Heat trying to get Brogdon, but the Heat tried oh, to yeah, get yeah, okay. Lillard Drew and, they tried to get, and, and tried to get Holiday. Yeah. But um, the Clippers potentially, now that they have sort of clarity of situation, I suppose the Clippers could come back to um, the Sixers and renegotiate now that they kind of know what who's going to be available and who's not. And the other thing is, the Clippers, from what I understand, made a pretty aggressive offer for Drew Holiday. James Harden would come cheaper for a number of reasons, but primarily because his contract is so up in the air and he can't extend. Um, 
I'll yeah, that's one thing that I will watch in the next you know week is could mm-hmm. the Clippers and the Sixers get something going there, and it would behoove Harden I think maybe not to make more negative news um, that may make it a little easier to get that trade. And I wonder if anybody's given him that or he's aware of that or whatever. And by the way, like they, they might talk again and they may not come to anything, but because the Clippers are now kind of back out there. Yeah. I, you know, I would probably just advise him to play it low key to make that type of move easier. But I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure it'll go down. I'm dancing around. What I'm I think um, I think the Clippers are still very interested in James Harden, but um, I don't think their talks really went very far with Philly. No, they didn't. And, and I and and I would I would phrase it a different way. Like I think I think I think Philly highly values James Harden. Like there's they're not like they are willing to trade him, but they but the value they have on James Harden is still very high because they they've always valued him very highly. And I, I don't think they see him as a distressed asset. I don't think they see him as a problem they're trying to get rid of. I think they'd, I think their their druthers would probably be, well, he he comes back and plays for us. I mean, they'll 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 entertain the idea of a trade for him because he's asked for that. But they don't see him as like, oh, we're just going to take a first and and be done with it. You know, I I think it's, um. I think they still place a they're they're not gonna just let him go for nothing. And so the Clippers are probably in a place where they play it. I think they play it out and they let it sit for a while. Whether mm-hmm. that's a month or two, maybe even into January. Cause I think that's their leverage is, you know, the longer this goes, James needs to play. He needs to show that he can still play and he needs to and also just everybody needs some resolution. It in a way, it reminds me a bit of Westbrook last year. Right where we can't really all find a a team that I, I think Harden was is still a, a more effective player in the scene, yeah, a more well, effective player in the league. Okay, I don't want to compare it, them. It is, it of, is he led the league in assists no, last year, right? No, it is definitely like this um the stumbling block that was yeah. blocking the Lakers. And I don't know, uh, Harden is not a stumbling block in in the way he plays, but the situation is a stumbling block. Yeah, so that's where is. they're they're different. Yeah. So but the other know, thing I, that's gonna gonna go be ahead. interesting on Monday is what Joel has to say. Now you've written extensively about Joel over yeah. the years. You have a good feel for him as good as anybody in the media. Joel has probably thought long and hard about how he's going to handle this media day. Um, mm-hmm. And the stance that he's going to take even going forward after media day to me, while the, what actually the actual action with Harden, is he there? Is he not there? Is mm-hmm. he playing hard? Is he say he's got a sore knee or sore back? Yeah, or whatever? Yeah. That that is fascinating. Yet what the actual actions are, but to me the more important thing to hear is what Embiid says. And even if he even if he passes the buck and is like, I just work here. I'm employee. I don't remember what his number is. (laughs) I'm employee number seven. Even that will be telling. So to me, I think Embiid sitting on the podium is fascinating as well. Yeah, and and Joel Embiid press conferences are always very entertaining. I mean, he's he's had all summer to think about it. He's He's done one or two interviews. Um, he got married. He had a lot going on this this summer. He was, but I I if, if I were guessing, I would say he gives a very um, down the middle answer of like James is a great player. We really want him back on our team. You know, I hope I don't want to get involved in other people's business. And you know, I know he feels the way he feels, but uh, we would welcome him back. 
you know, that, that, that would be my guess of what either Joel and or everyone else is going to say some version of that. Right. I don't want to get involved in other people's business, but you know, we would like him back. I, like that's, that's the general feeling around this team, which is, I think, I think if James said, I'm ready to go, let's go. My problem was with Darrow. We'll, we'll put that aside. Uh, let's go. Let's go ball. Let's hoop. I think everybody would be fine. I really do. I think he'd be welcome back. I mean, Nick nurse has no history with him. I mean, right. Nick, Nick nurse. I mean, he has good history with him actually from Houston. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how much their paths crossed with the G league right. team and the you know, Rio right. Grande Vipers. Right. Um, but Nick was around that um, the, the Rockets teams during James's glory days. Uh, so I, I think, I think he'd be fine if, if, if James came in with that attitude, but I, I don't know. The the pictures of the club the other day, that kind of lets you know where his head was. Yeah, that was a salvo. That was like a salvo. Um, and I don't know if it was like, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. But I don't think we'll have clarity on Monday either. But we no, will I don't at least either. have a idea of the way the game is going to be played. I think um, we're going to be checking it. Did he get on the plane to Colorado? Did he, did he show up in media day? Did he, did, do they let well, him? I think he, he may take his own to plane press. to Colorado. As you wrote about, he sometimes yeah. likes to take his own plane places. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's his plane or he gets somebody well, else's yeah, plane. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. um, it's not <laughs> far from, from Colorado. Relatively, it's not far from Colorado to Vegas. It's certainly closer than Philadelphia. So you could drive it probably. Well, I don't know if you could drive it. It would be a very <laughs> long drive. You're yeah. showing your coastal geography there, Ramona. I'm so sorry. I know, probably true. Um, but <laughs> I do uh, know the drive from from Vegas to uh, St. George, Utah, is, is not as close as I think it is because that's where we used to fly into when we go play a tournament there. It's a couple of hours, a couple of hours. So Denver's what? a whole other couple of hours. We fly we to St. George and then drive to, to no, no. We would fly into Vegas and drive to drive to St. Oh, George. St. George. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. I was like, wait a minute, yeah. you would fly. Okay, I didn't get it. <laughs> but yes, um, the desert is expansive. Um, before we go, I wanted to ask you the how you think, what your impressions of Josh Harris were when you were done with him, because there's a lot of fascinating things in this story. He talks about the private equity deal, and I'm not going to talk mm -hmm. about that on a basketball podcast, but he talks about the private equity deal that basically made him a billionaire. He talks about his breakup with his, which like, they could make a movie about. Maybe somebody will oh, yeah. about his former business partner who's, you know, been in negative headlines because of it. I don't think he'd ever talked about that before that he talked about it with you. There's a lot of stuff in this story that is very fascinating. And it happened at the start of the NFL season. There was a lot going on. <laughs> and if you missed it, I would try to go back and check it out because I loved so much of the story there was it was a part in the story where michael rubin says that purchasing the sixers for 280 million dollars just think about that yeah the bobcats sold to michael jordan for 300 million and like a year within a year of that the sixers the philadelphia 76ers sold for 280 okay yeah and it, michael rubin was saying that it took six months to do the deal and they were and it was way more difficult and on, they were on the fence about buying the Sixers than they were about buying the commanders. Yeah. So I just want to know what your takeaway of the, of Josh Harris was and what you think 
maybe we can say about where the Sixers are headed, the way he's handling this right now. So I think he's learned a lot and he's been very humbled in his last 12 years as an owner. Um, he said that a number of times and not because I asked. He like it came from within. Uh, I think he learned he's learned a lot about how important it is to have personal relationships with players for them to feel like you actually care about them and you don't just see them as a asset and a, a, you know part of your strategy or something. Um, and so he's really gone out of his way to make personal connections with the guys in the commanders. And I know he's done that with with Joel Embiid and some other players in the Sixers. Um, that's something I think he's learned over these 12 years. Um, there was a, there was a quote there is like, you know, you got to do everything like in sports, it's really leaky. You know, everything, you got to do everything like you're going to read about on the front page of the newspaper next tomorrow. Um, the, and the, Philadelphia the is, was it his mother, right? His mother used yeah. to say to him. Yeah. And, and, and I think he, well, hold um, on. I, I want you, I want you to tell them his mother yeah. used to say to him, you should behave like what you do is going to be on the front page of the paper. That's right. And then he kind of, he grew up and did a whole bunch of made a billionaire, which, you know, was in the business page many times over. Yeah. But then when he be, actually became the owner of the 76ers, what he did was on the front page of the paper yeah. and it took <laughs> yeah. a while to kind of compute what that meant. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot to the story that I liked of, you know, I, I, I watched the show billion. So I, I enjoy that, uh, that not that I ever travel in those circles. Like I'm not in those circles. I'm just kind of writing stories about people in those circles, but I like that. I've like actually the... literally traveled in those circles when yeah. you've been on private planes with billionaires <laughs> writing stories. So yeah. I don't, I know what you were saying, but you actually have literally traveled in those circles. Yeah, I but I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> there's a B in my last name, but it's not for billions. Okay? <laughs> like, there's a, um, you know, like I, I know how to, I know how to talk to them without getting embarrassed or like I can hang in that conversation, but I, but I'm certainly not, you know, having any kind of I understand. I'm just, that, I'm teasing you a little bit. But what I liked about the, you know, I liked when, um, I like when David Blitzer was telling me the story of how he and Josh Harris talked about sports one day and they were at, they were at a pub in London and I go, which pub? And he goes, Oh, I know I can see it. I can picture it. I'm going to have to remember exactly which pub it was. And I go, you got to tell me which pub it was. It's, it matters. It's an important detail. He goes, okay. <laughs> so he texts me back later and he goes, it was the punch bowl. And I go, Oh, okay. Cause this is an important pub in London. This is like Guy Ritchie and Madonna's pub. This is not yeah. this is not just like any old ye old English pub. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is like an iconic pub that's been open since 1750. So this is where these two billionaires get together. And you have to picture this. Like this is the basketball equivalent of the meetings between Red Auerbach and Jerry Buss at Dantana's in winning time, right? Like this, these are Josh Harris from Apollo and David Blitzer from Blackstone, which are huge rivals in private equity. Yeah, it's like it's like I don't know the if it's not Lakers Celtics, it's you know Celtics 76ers. Okay. You know, it's a real old yeah. standing, you know, they have a lot of they're intertwined in a lot of ways. Yeah, because when you're when you're calling a place like Blackstone, okay, if you're calling a private equity firm, like David Blitzer ends up handling the um the Dodgers sale when when Frank McCourt to the Guggenheim group. Um, Blackstone handles the sale. They're the banker there. And then sometimes they're, you know, sometimes they're buying somebody, sometimes they're being the bankers, sometimes they're on the other side. They that's what private equity firms do. And so um he he sees up close like the value in sports at, back in two thousand the two thousand tens, basically that sale, but also when they buy the Sixers, 
and I love the quote where he says, my only regret is that we, we got two teams. We got the hockey team and the basketball team, but that we didn't buy more because yes, the value I've of sports teams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I didn't buy more. You, yeah. Except you said it about the, the, you know, $400 stock you bought, <laughs> not, the, not the $400 million basketball team. Um, and it's, um, they saw that, you know, these private equity guys, they didn't buy into sports because it was a great buy. They bought into sports because they're giant sports fans and they happened to think that it was a good buy. Right. And this is like, it's going to sound, this is an oversimplification, but this is kind of the way I felt that when you make your huge fortune, like when you make your first million, I'm sure you go buy something nice. And then when you make your first billion, you go buy something nicer. <laughs> okay. Um, and Josh Harris had just made like his first billion right around then. That's when they do the big deal with Leon Del Blasel, which is a, it's a Dutch chemical company. What you need to know, the reason why they make so much money is this is the 2010 financial crisis. The whole world economy is shutting down. All these companies are undervalued. This company has a competitive advantage in fracking, okay, in natural gas refining. And they produce some plastics that are that are basically make everything, that make the world go round. And this company is a very good company that's going into bankruptcy. And Josh Harris knows like, hey, even though this company is going bankrupt, it's still a really valuable company because of what it can do in terms of natural gas refining and the applications of that. I think it's being totally undervalued because of the economy and because of other circumstances. So he's buying Citigroup stock for 20 cents on the dollar. He's buying stock in this company for, for just nothing. Like he's taking on debt. That's yeah. He bought what he basically worth. did was he bought their debt. And yeah, I know this is an NBA podcast, yeah, but he bought okay. so much of their debt that he basically owned the company. Was able to take control of the company. Yeah. Basically, Correct. is what happened. Yeah, that's and right then, like a year or two later, the company went like ten x in value. Or I yeah, don't even know. That's he essentially they, poured. There was the easiest way to say it is they invested about two billion, and it was it became worth twelve billion within five years. It's a pretty good return. Yeah. It's like 600% return. And yes. so this is about the same time that he's like, I have money now. Like to not just, I probably with his first million, he bought a house or a car. And with your first billion, you buy a team. Okay. Yeah. So, but buying a team is a huge thing. And, and it wasn't, I think that Sixers deal is an even better deal than what's been reported because I think they, they took on a lot of debt. I think it was only about half an equity. Um, and, and then they took on a lot of debt and then they, you know, they eventually get more out of this even, even still. Now it's the Sixers are valued at 3 billion by Forbes. So no, no. I mean, with all due respect to, Forbes, I think it'll the, be more. The, 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 the Suns the just Suns sold went for, for four. four. <laughs> yeah. The Sixers are worth more than that. Four or five at least. Yeah. But you know, so anyway, the point is I, I, the, the vibe I got from Josh Harris was, and it was like a funny lead. I mean, I, you do this because it's the lead to your story, but also because it <laughs> yes. kind of, explains the guy and who he is um i got to go to the monday night football booth and i had to kind of get clearance you know i emailed a producer and i said hey you know I'm doing a story with this guy i'm following him around all day or you're i promise i won't be a distraction i'll just kind of stand in there and watch him do his interview and i'm standing in the back and i noticed joe buck is quite a bit taller than you think he is troy aikman is six four and josh harris is listed at five eight we'll just say listed at five eight <laughs> and so when they do the shot and you know the football press box you got to stand you can't you could can sit on those director's chairs yeah better to yeah, stand no. the game. yeah 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 the, the, the field is always in the background and you're yeah yeah, yeah. so 
you know, five, eight, and then six, one, six, four, like that shot's going to be uneven. And so the producer's like, do you, do you ask the guy who just spent $6 billion to stand on a box? I mean, they ask me to do that all the time. Cause I'm five, two, I'm like, I'm used to it. Uh, but <laughs> yes, you know, I've been asked to stand on boxes. Yeah. It's happened. I mean, you know, yeah. we're short. That's how it goes. I mean, you're not as short as I am, but anyway, um, I'm not tall. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So they just ask, like, they just go, you know, you want to stand on the box and Josh without like, doesn't even give it a second thought. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Whatever you need me to do stands on the box. And I have like a couple of photos from behind the scenes of this. Cause I, it was a really memorable thing that I thought he did. And there was also, if you had done some reading on Dan Snyder, his predecessor in Washington, there's a lot of things about another Washington man Post who was and other not people, tall, not tall. And he was sensitive <laughs> about that and didn't like you to point that out. And so this was like, you Sorry, could feel Dan. all the, all the commanders employees like watching this unfold going, Oh my God, is he going to stand on the box? Like, is he going to, well, Oh, Okay, sit on the box. All right, we're good. <laughs> and so I, I sort of saw this humility there. And then, of course, there's the handshake that was not a handshake heard around the world, um, where Joe Buck is talking with his hands and Josh Harris sees a hand out of the corner of his eye and goes in for the shake, but that's not what was happening. Yeah. And <laughs> Joe Buck is like, pulls his hand back. And Josh Harris goes, mm, okay. And then Aikman sort of <laughs> slyly laughs. It's really well. It's a thing like you know, ten billion dollars can't make you cool. No, and but uh, <laughs> you know what's you know what so funny about that that whole thing is that I don't think he had any idea that that went viral until he walked off the set. Like I think it was just a thing that happened where like you and I do that all the time. Like I don't even think he recognized that that I I don't know if I would have either because you're in the middle of talking. He just kept talking. And afterwards, Dave Schaller, who's their PR guy, said, you know, you thought you did the interview really well, except this one funny moment. And then he shows him the clip. And like, you could just see that moment like, oh, like, how's he going to react to going viral for something awkward? And, <laughs> and he just laughs it off. He's just like, oh, let me see it again. And I, <laughs> I, I just thought that was funny. Like, here's a guy who's just not precious about things like that. You know, we already had the joke about the, do you want some makeup for your photo ops? And he's like, yeah, it doesn't help at my age. I mean, it's, you know, like there's a sort of humility to him, even though he has this stature now in the sports world that I think is, um, well, I think he wants to show, to I think he wants yeah. to show it a little bit, but he is a yeah. deaf. He's still, he's a killer in business. Oh yeah. That I will. You know, tell you. Um, all right. Well, we'll see Ramona what happens over the next, uh, 24 to 48 hours with the Sixers. And um, I know that it's NFL okay, season. We're going to go Josh word of the shares. day. How about word of yeah. the day? Okay. So what ha I'm going to give you a prompt and say, and you give me a word. Uh, what happens with the Sixers over the next 24 to 48 hours? What's your word? You know, Perk's word what's, of the day. What's the, the opposite word. of clarity? Opaque? Opacity? Obfuscation. obfuscation. I'm not going to obfuscate. Well, they're going to obfuscate. No, I'll say opacity. I'm going to say, say theatrics. I'm going to go with yeah. theatrics is my word. Okay. I like it. I look forward to your. <laughs> I look forward Temps, to you. I'm Bob Thompson McMahon for a word too. Yeah, that's fine. I'll. I'm sure McMahon knows what um, theatrics is, especially. He, I'm sure he doesn't know what opacity means, but or obfuscation. Um, definitely There's not. No chance. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Ramona, and go check out Bye, that Brian. story. I thanks. Talk to you. But before we go, just want to let you know we're going to do a special hoop collective. It's going to publish on Tuesday. With all of our reporters who were at media days around the country on Monday, um, it's going to be meaty. It's going to be meaty. Definitely going to going to be getting uh, Mr. Bontemps from uh, from Philadelphia. That's going to be uh, 
That's going to be a good one. And uh, people who knows what's happening over. here. So thank you for listening to Noob Collective. We will be talking to you very soon. Probably too much content for this uh, this early in the week, but what can I say? Uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, I thought I was coming back to do that. This is we've come back. <laughs> we've come back. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. Spare me your frustration. The, the, the magic of editing. 